This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, it's John Moore. This is The Breakfast Wrap for this Friday, the 24th of March. We have a mainly sunny day with a high of 7 degrees. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one, Ontario's budget promising to balance in 2025. Number two, Ford to Toronto, drop dead. Number three, it's your last chance to buy TTC tokens. Number four, accused and now independent MP Handong votes with the opposition for an inquiry. And number five, a busy day for Joe Biden in Ottawa. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. 5.07 on a Friday morning. How you doing so far? I'm, uh, you know me, right? I was talking earlier this week about, there's a famous book called Who Moved My Cheese? And it's all about trying to adjust to change. Although I also remember there was a U.S. general who once said, if you don't like change, you'll hate redundancy even worse. Um, so things are a little different for me today, but it seems to be working so far. I'm coming to you from our sister station, CFRA, in Ottawa, because, as I told you earlier in the week, I'm in Ottawa to attend Joe Biden's speech today. And uh, getting here, honestly, uh, I won't belabor it too much. And Maureen Holloway and I can talk about this at 6.50. I kind of tasked her with, what was the worst trip you ever had? I can tell you, in the last year or so, um, every single time I travel, something goes wrong and, you know, it's lost luggage or, you know, there's all kinds of stuff. Um, but yesterday was quite the crazy day. It was very planes, trains, and automobiles. Uh, I managed, okay. So in the morning I get up and as you know, I get up and start getting ready for the show at uh, two o'clock in the morning. And I was told that my flight had been canceled. And I'm not going to get into the airlines that were pooching me here, but uh, my flight had been canceled. I was rescheduled for a time that would not have gotten me to Ottawa in time to pick up the pass that I need in order to get into the House of Commons today. So then I tried to arrange something on a different airline. That wasn't quite working out. I should have taken the train, but, you know, I was busy getting ready for the yesterday's show and doing yesterday's show. And so ultimately I thought, and actually this was in Joe Cristiano's recommendation, I thought, okay, screw it, I'll drive. Well, if you were on the road yesterday, you would know that it was like monsoon rain and fog. And then to top it all off, I don't know what happened. I'm going to go look it up later on today. And I don't know if there were fatalities involved, but there was some kind of complete and utter wreck on the 401 such that we had to get off the 401 and go to the old Highway 2, which if you're under the age of 40, you probably don't even know exists, but it's the old highway you would have used to go from Montreal to Toronto or Kingston. And that was a three-hour delay. So I, the thought I had when I finally got to Ottawa at 4 o'clock in the afternoon after leaving Toronto at 9.15 was that I'm pretty sure that I got to New York from Montreal faster on September 11th, 2001 than I did yesterday driving from Toronto to Ottawa. But I got here, ran off to the uh, accreditation center, picked up my invitation to attend today's speech by Joe Biden. And as you know, I'm kind of goofily excited. I mean, if I have been excited to attend an opening of 
Parliament at Queen's Park, then you can imagine how I feel about being in the new House of Commons, because it's, um, it's an improvised House of Commons to replace the old one that's being renovated, and it's beautiful. Uh, listening to a speech by a president of the United States on a day where, you know, every person in the gallery is an invited guest, I am goofily excited about that. We'll talk more about Joe Biden in Canada, but actually, I'm pretty sure that yesterday's budget is probably of greater significance this morning. And, um, you know, it's... it. it I, 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 Andrew Coyne writes about it today in the Globe and Mail, and I think it's kind of a funny column that we'll spend a little bit more time on a little later. But he says, you know, there's nothing in this budget that you wouldn't have found in a Kathleen Wynne budget, but they're just spending more. However, I still have very little complaint about um, what Peter Bethlen Falvey does, because I think he's the kind of guy with long-term vision for an economy. And he'll join us on the show this morning, incidentally, one of the big deals in the budget, which for, for people in Toronto anyway, would certainly be that there was uh, nothing in it for Toronto. And that being the case, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, we had um, Jennifer McKelvey, the deputy mayor, who's the acting mayor until the 27th of June. And she was on the show earlier this week and she admitted that, you know, we're going to have to find some revenue tools. So Torontonians, resolve yourself to the idea that we're going to have to figure out a way to raise more money, which actually makes Josh Madlow a somewhat more compelling candidate since he's the first guy I can remember in modern times who ever said, if you elect me, I will raise your taxes. But at the same time, we got to make a stark choice here. Either we raise taxes or we find revenue tools, which are just taxes, or we have to give some stuff up. And frankly, I think there are plenty of things we could give up. But anyway, I mean, I'm obsessing over the Toronto budget when we should be talking about the Ontario budget. Here's Peter Bethlen Falvey wearing the shoes, I might add, that he bought at Tom's Place, talking about how the economic times that we're in are still pretty stormy. And while our economy has remained resilient, the seas around us are stormy. That's why our government is continuing to take a responsible, targeted approach with our plan. Meanwhile, the opposition, you know, opposition going to oppose. The opposition is insisting that this budget is kind of an empty thing. Too little, too late, says the opposition. Because the, the Conservatives are not stepping up, Torontonians are going to be seeing a big property tax hike and service cuts. So Merritt Stiles in that uh, clip there um, complaining about, actually, I'm not sure that was Merritt Stiles, but uh, complaining about the fact that she thinks there's a lot of stuff missing from this document. But I mean, you know, top line stuff. Uh, First of all, it's the biggest budget ever. That's not a surprise. When it comes to inflation, we're going to be spending more. But it's $204.7 billion, which, and I'm going to have to look this up, but would put us in line to be on a par with some countries. Um, it's almost 30% more than the Liberals' final budget, which was $158.5 billion. That was five years ago. Now, there are some interesting takeaways here. Uh, for example, for poor seniors, the guaranteed annual income system payments, $166 a month for individuals, 332 for couples, are being expanded. So 
An additional 100,000 people will qualify by July 2024. Uh, currently, 200,000 people are receiving that benefit. Uh, as predicted, and we had this yesterday morning, uh, temporary pandemic paid sick leave, which uh, was providing three days off during the COVID-19 health emergency, is expiring on March 31st. And uh, the province is going to create a new provincial park. Be very curious to find out where that is. Also, there's going to be a new protected area in the 905 in Uxbridge, which I have to think is more about um, the 413 and, um, you know, the green belt than anything else. Um, there's going to be $25 million more over three years to speed up the application process for immigrants who have skilled trades. There's going to be $25 million bucks to be spent identifying and protecting residential school burial sites. Uh, there's also something called the Ontario Made Manufacturing Investment Tax Credit, which is going to provide a tax credit for manufacturers. Um, and then uh, this is one of the biggies. More than $48 billion has been set aside for hospital capital spending. Um, and the whole objective there, and there's nothing new in this because they had announced this plan a long time ago, uh, helping more than 50 projects that will add 3,000 beds. And there's also a pretty significant amount of money to repair and refurbish schools. So, I mean, all of these things are the kind of things that I'd be largely excited about. But it is worth noting, um, this is not a hidebound conservative government. You know, this is not back in the Harris years. This government is more or less, as Andrew Coyne was pointing out, more or less continuing along the lines of spend to make things better. You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. 528 in the morning and hoping my voice holds out because I'd hate to have to corral Jerry Agar in to uh, take over the show. Uh, also, I got so many things to tell you about, about being in Ottawa for Joe Biden's visit. Everything from the security presence to the uh, welded sewer caps. But speaking of Joe Biden, let's go to Joyce Napier and her account of Joe Biden's arrival and what's going to happen. Finally, the U.S. president found time in his busy schedule to come to Canada for a working visit. Greeted by the governor general and several ministers, Jill and Joe Biden kicked off a visit meant to reboot the Canada-U.S. relationship put through the test during the Trump years. I think the relationship is in repair mode. It's work in progress. A packed schedule and a long list of asks from both sides. But already a possible breakthrough on one major irritant, the safe third country agreement that has seen tens of thousands of asylum seekers entering Canada from the U.S., most of them through Roxham Road in Quebec. I think we should expect it to be not just for Roxham Road, but right across our long border. And it's important to build trust between our border agencies, between our intelligence agencies. Canadian officials are not giving details, but the LA Times reporting this evening a deal has been reached, allowing both countries to turn back asylum seekers who are caught within 14 days. The opposition is still asking for more. There are some signals that there's a solution. If the solution solves a problem and something we're open to, our preferred option is still to suspend the agreement. But other global issues are on the agenda, including the war in Ukraine, the ongoing violence in Haiti, the modernization of NORAD, the North American Air Defense, and China. 
we are going to have to continue uh, to be wide-eyed and clear about the threat that China poses and wants to pose to the stability of our democracies. The two leaders are also expected to discuss North American supply chains, global warming, critical minerals, and a partnership they need to strengthen to face global challenges. That is Joyce Napier. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. 5.37 on a Friday morning, minus one degree. And while the weather forecast for today looks pretty pleasant, mainly sunny and a high of seven, uh, tomorrow could be a bit of a mess. Great, I'm driving home tomorrow. It looks like it's going to be a wet and windy Saturday, and there's even the risk of freezing rain. So listen, back to, very quickly, Joe Biden in Ottawa. And the vibe is, is interesting in the city because... And a lot of people are fairly indifferent to it. I was in a taxi last night, and the guy said he couldn't care less. I mean, his only issue as a driver was the fact that half of the city is being locked down. But I walked through the parliamentary precinct yesterday on my way to go pick up my pass to see the uh, speech today. And there's an awful lot of security. Mind you, it's more or less the same level of security that... I found when I was here for the 1st of July. I mean, you'll have all of these police vehicles, their lights are going, there'll be a half a dozen police officers standing around each vehicle. Uh, But at the same time, I don't know if they got instructions to do this, but I had a whole bunch of police officers as I walked by just saying, good evening, hello, hi, how are you? So I, I think they're trying to set a very positive tone. And obviously, I mean, this is... A lot of this is run by the American Secret Service because it's about the security of the President of the United States, but a lot of it is also because they're on the lookout for, um, you know, convoy protests and stuff like that and people who are going to show up to make trouble. So, and certainly I remember, I remember if protesters turned out for Barack Obama, but back in the day when Ronald Reagan was here, uh, lots of protesters showed up on Parliament Hill when he was making a speech. And then he also got heckled, I think, by Sven Robinson. So, you know, you got to be on the lookout for trouble. Looking at Biden's uh, official agenda for today, uh, 9 o'clock, he gets his uh, daily presidential briefing, which is all about mostly security issues. Uh, The president will show up on Parliament Hill at 11.10, and that will involve a book signing. Uh, Then the president participates in a bilateral meeting with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau of Canada. 11.45, the president participates in an expanded bilateral meeting with Prime Minister Justin... That's the cabinet. Uh, 2 p.m., the president will address the Canadian parliament. 3.45, the president and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau of Canada hold a joint press conference. Uh, And then there's going to be a state dinner tonight. And then talk about eating and running. They're going to be at a gala dinner at 6.30, and they are on a plane at 9.25. It's, uh, it's always a very regimented schedule. I was watching uh, Joe Biden touching down yesterday, and first of all, I, 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 I don't know. One of the reasons I drove yesterday from Toronto to Ottawa was because there was such thick fog. I thought they'll probably cancel whatever plane I try to rebook, so maybe it's better I just drive. And... Um, the president's plane is outfitted with everything and can do an instrument landing anyway in any conditions. 
Uh, I mean, it's practically a warplane for Pete's sake. It's uh, it can you know it's it can fire missiles. It's uh, actually one of the stories I, I was going to tell you yesterday and never got to. The person who is flying the president's plane, the captain, but actually they have to be a major. But the person who is flying it, um, they actually run their own air traffic control. They take over uh, from all of the ground air traffic control, and then they communicate with any planes that may be close by. So I was in a plane once sitting in the co-pilot's seat, and we were flying uh, out of Bo- flying around Boston, and the guy flying Air Force One radios to us and says, you're too close, get out of my airspace. And of course, we just thought, oh my gosh, we're talking to the guy who's flying the president's plane right now. So, um, you know, on the political side of things, there's some pretty important things that uh, may get done. But the one thing that does seem to have been done, and I think it's going to take a while to figure out exactly what the significance of this is, um, but it's to change the status of these irregular crossings. And for the most part, there's one in Quebec where something like 40,000 people have crossed. And they're not Americans coming into Canada. They are refugees from other countries who arrived in the United States. And then people probably accepting enormous sums of money are transporting them to this crossing. And then they go across the crossing. And then they're ours until we can process them. And that's why, for example, Jim Diodati the mayor of Niagara Falls has talked with us about the fact that some of these refugees have been placed in hotels in Niagara Falls. And he said, listen, tourist season is coming. We can't continue to handle these people. So that's a pretty significant change in uh, procedure. But it's also politically uh, interesting because this is one of the things that Canadian conservatives have been banging the drum about because they've been trying to channel the American anger over people crossing at the southern border of the United States, and it's not really as controversial, these people coming into Canada, because ultimately, if we're going to bring in workers to work our farms from other countries, might as well just take the people who have regularly crossed in and you know try to process them eventually as refugees. Most of them will be dispatched back to the United States. But it does take some of the wind out of the sails of opposition critics who have made this a major issue. So Joe Biden will speak this afternoon in Parliament. I'll let you know what he says when he says it. In the 530 headlines, one of the things uh, Jess Kieran was talking about is TTC tokens. And I don't know about you, but I had no idea anybody was still using tokens um, or buying them. And I have to think the issue here is that maybe there's some sort of a wholesale value to tokens that are sold to convenience stores who resell them to you. And so it was easier just to say, okay, keep selling them than it was to say, we'll rebate you or give them back. But anyway, tomorrow is uh, the end of your ability to buy tokens if anybody wants them. And like I said, I've got probably three or four tokens that I thought were useless. So I figured they were souvenirs, but apparently you can still use them on the TTC. I don't know where. Um, I haven't been on a TTC bus in forever. When I get on the streetcar, I haven't seen if there's a cash box. I usually use my Presto card. And while I guess the token receiving box at a subway station may still be present, the person who supervises it isn't there anymore. So it, uh, it, it, just seems like a bit of a strange thing. But, you know, I mean, it's a currency, right? So you got to figure out how to continue to value it. 
Uh, in just a moment, we'll dig a little deeper into uh, a new study that is out about the TTC. And the basic takeaway from this study is that cuts to TTC service are apparently uh, affecting mostly marginal, marginalized communities in the city of Toronto. You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. So this whole hand-dong business continues in Ottawa. And I was mentioning yesterday that as much as Justin Trudeau would like to focus on Joe Biden's visit and bilateral issues, and there's some pretty important stuff to be talked about, and there's already one important agreement, all the reporters are going to be shouting at Justin Trudeau about will be this hand-dong affair. So. Uh, it's, you know, it's going to be a somewhat fractious day, I would imagine. But according to a report I'm reading this morning, quoting here, the Trudeau government determined that there was no actionable evidence after it received a CSIS transcript of an early 2021 conversation between Liberal MP Handong and China's top diplomat in Toronto. Okay, so that confirms a few things. One is that somebody in the government, if not the Prime Minister, knew that there had been a conversation, which is not a rare affair, as Scott Reed and others have pointed out. Um, an MP will talk to a local, um, you know, ambassador or consul general on a regular basis. Uh, it also tells us, in all likelihood, and my understanding is this was a phone conversation, so it means CSIS is tapping the phones at the consul in uh, Toronto, which, again, doesn't come as much of a surprise. Uh, but it also says that when they went over the transcript, they didn't find anything untoward, which would suggest, and I appreciate that there are a lot of people who are very heavily invested in this because they would like for the Trudeau government to become undone in this whole affair. But, I mean, if the transcript said that an, uh, an MP had told the Chinese that they should continue to hold two Canadian citizens you kind of figure that something would have happened after that. But, you know, it was interesting because uh, I think it was Jerry Agar yesterday. It was. Jerry Agar was talking with a former CSIS agent named Michel Junot Katsuya. And he was talking about how um, this business of reporters quoting sources from in CSIS but quoting them anonymously uh, impacts on the case. I think it's about time that the Canadian hears about exactly what we have known now for decades. Um, I can return all the way to Mr. Mulroney, and I can assure you, every single prime minister, one after the other, and their office have been compromised. We know by whom, we know when, we know how, and it has been a problem because CSIS has been going to all the prime ministers, one after the other, telling them what was going on, and they didn't listen, they didn't hear. And the only conclusion we can come to, it was because it served their partisanship uh, uh, element, so it served their purpose at one point or another, or it served their personal interest. Uh, and the third one is that because we know that they had been infiltrated by agents of influence, not necessarily spy, but agent or, 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 or Canadians that accepted to work on behalf of the Chinese government and were able to influence the decision process. So moving forward, it's going to be interesting to see where this all goes, but I think almost everybody agrees, except perhaps the Prime Minister, that we need a full-on inquiry. 
So, this is Friday, yes, and it's March 24th, and you may not have known, this is National Kids Yes Day. The whole idea is that if your kids want to do something, that you as a parent should say yes to that. And apparently, according to Scouts Canada, who did a survey of kids, what kids really want to do is blow stuff up. My guest is Mike Eibel, who is with Scouts Canada. Good morning. Nice to see you too, John. Okay, so the only word I can think of is this is pretty badass. Young people want to do some pretty controversial or pretty, I mean, I don't want to use the word violent, but they, they, they just, they want to do dangerous stuff. Kids want to do the craziest things, uh, and I absolutely love it. There's, there's just this innocence that children have, and they come up with the craziest ideas. And, and with Scouts, it's just fantastic because we get to say yes. And, and that kind of what differentiates us from, from a lot of other kind of after-school or uh, uh, extracurricular programs is that like we have this philosophy in Scouts that we want to say yes to those crazy, zany ideas, and we want to bring them to life and make it happen. Okay, so the number one thing is 55% of Canadian kids say they'd like to blow stuff up. Don't you want to blow stuff up? Oh, always. Doesn't that sound like fun? Yeah, no, totally. But it's, uh, you know, are parents good with that? Well, this is, and this is what this uh, uh, this Yes Day is, is all about. It's about fun ways to bring all of these crazy zany ideas that children have to life, but doing so in a way that's a bit more safe uh, and kind of taking what the crazy idea is about and bringing it to life in a way that is reasonable that's safe that's still just as exciting as what they might have in mind but uh, kind of facilitating that fun that that amazing adventure that the kids have in their minds well fireworks i'm in now, I mean, the fireworks part, I think that's really where the, this, the fun of this philosophy comes in, because it's kind of taking, I mean, of course, I would never, I mean, I've got two kids myself, and I would never let them light fireworks. But they love the pizzazz, they love the light show, they love the bang, and, and seeing that visual. And so maybe a light show is something that we can pivot towards. So it's kind of finding what's encouraging them, or what's what's sparking that that creativity that they have this idea for, and then bringing what is relevant and so cool about it and bringing that to life in a different way so i mean glow sticks flashlights there's a lot of ways to make things light up that maybe don't involve pyrotechnics at seven years old and then you know at the bottom of the list that i have here anyway 36 percent would like to light a fire now i was a cub scout and a boy scout and i loved lighting fires i'm almost disappointed that it's so close to the bottom of the list some of the youth that we surveyed are also already in scouting, so they might have already done this as well and wanting to do it again, or maybe make the fire bigger uh, and 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 whatnot. But no, even that that idea of lighting something on fire with you know maybe it's not a match, maybe it's using a you know ferro magnesium rod, that that incredible explosive spark, and and then the confidence that comes with doing it all by themselves. And not really having that parent or volunteer help to do it. They've, they've built the fire. They've got the tinder. They've got the kindling. They put it all together in that perfect way. And they've kind of built something. And then the, the, the point that that spark kind of ignites. And then, hey, they've built something. And, well, maybe now they're going to put some zoodles on top and have a great lunch because they've been able to do this all by themselves. And by building that confidence, that resiliency of maybe not even doing it right the first time. Um, but when it finally happens... It, it, it just ignites this this passion, this fire in them. What do you see as the place of the scouting movement now? Because a lot of people feel it's kind of old-fashioned. So how vital is it? 
I think it's very vital. I think that that an organization like Scouts, um, with with I mean, in this campaign and 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 yesterday, it's all about saying yes to kids. It's all about making kids the most relevant voice in the room. And I would say that you know our founding movement was was all about putting kids first and that's just as relevant today as it's ever been relevant and i would argue even more so today especially because kids right now coming out of the pandemic when when mental health and and kids health mentally they've been they've been disconnected from life they've been on their computer screens and tablets putting them first putting their crazy zany ideas first saying yes to them and bringing their their creativity to life is the most relevant thing in today's society I think there ever is. And I can't think of a better organization than Scouts to to bring that to life. Thanks a lot for this. Good to see you. Thank you so much, John. It's been a pleasure. That's Mike Eibel with Scouts Canada. Uh, I think it's a sweet idea, and I hope some kids have an adventure today. But at the same time, I don't know too many parents who ever say no to their kids. That's The Breakfast Wrap. Thanks a lot for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.